Good morning. We're glad that you are here. Uh, glad to begin this morning on your way in. Hopefully you found some coffee. Hopefully you found a worship guide. Those are important for you as we start. Uh, there's information in there about how to connect with us in that worship guide, and we want you to um, to utilize that. There's a connection card portion on there in particular that you can use to, to dialogue back and forth with us. You can fill that out. It tears right off. And then during uh, our offering time, you can drop that in there, and we will collect those up at that point. We, um, we want you to um, be ready to hear the word. That's how we're going to start right now. We uh, take uh, some time where we will uh, do our singing time first and then where we do our word first. And today we're going to do our word first. And so uh, we're going to dive into that in just a moment. I want to let you know, if you don't know, that uh, who I am. My name's Tommy and I'm an associate minister here. I've been at First Christian for like uh, just about 10 years. And so um, I'm here getting to share with you. And um, many of you know that Scott, who is our senior minister, or normally our preacher, has been away for two weeks on vacation. And so for the last two weeks, uh, he has been with family. They've been at a family camp together all up north, and they'll be returning back down to Tennessee. Um, But I want to tell you what the next two weeks for Scott will look like. Uh, The next two weeks for Scott are going to be what is um, best described as a a study leave time. So for two weeks, Scott's going to have a study leave. Um, The elders have been praying over Scott uh, for that time, even before he left, and we've been praying for him for that. Let me explain what that means. A study leave is uh, that he'll be here and he'll be working, but not like in the daily business of what we do here at church. His goal with that, uh, with these two weeks, is to create some time to zoom out to be away from that day-to-day stuff that often will happen with the intention of of hearing from the Lord and and, um, letting God speak and impress upon Him what what, uh, God's heart for our church is. If you've been around for a while, and I look around, I know a lot of you have, um, God's been doing some amazing things in our congregation that we're excited about. And uh, sometimes things happen so quickly that uh, we have to pull away for a retreat to just hear and let some of that simmer. And so we've been praying for Scott and want to invite you to do that as well. That for Scott is our, our primary visionary leader, that God would continue to lead him and that, um, that outside of that normal day-to-day that he would create space for that to happen. It's easy to go through an entire day and just all that normal operation stuff uh, fills up your time. So for um, the last two weeks and for these upcoming two weeks, um, I've stepped in to do a lot of that normal day-to-day stuff. So if there's something that you felt like, I've been waiting to talk to Scott about this, um, I'd love to invite you to come and find me. Um, I would be glad to talk to you about that. In fact, I'm clearing out my calendar in a way that that can happen. What that means is other staff have actually adjusted some of what they, they will be doing. And so as an entire staff, we've adjusted for this time period. And so if you need to dialogue or felt like there's something that Scott had been walking you through and you think for the next two weeks, I really need to know something about that. Come find me. Um, Would uh, really enjoy getting a chance to to make sure that uh, we can protect that time for him and for Scott and that you would pray for that. And so if you need to uh, interact or something, I have a question. I'd be glad to meet with you for that. So 
Um, let's pray, you know, over the next couple of weeks for that. Let's pr- um, pray that God would speak to him during this unique time, this opportunity, uh, that he would process information that's already in his brain, uh, that he would slow down intentionally. And if you know Scott, that's that's I mean, he's a fast paced guy um, so that he would slow down intentionally to create a moment where um, he can interact with some of those deeper, bigger issues that a lot of times get. Um, get pushed out by the busyness of the day-to-day stuff. So that's the next two weeks for him. So this week I'm going to preach. Then next week our associate minister Wes Ford is going to preach. And then the week after that I'll preach again. Um, So that's how those next two weeks will look. And um, it will be an opportunity for us to share with you. And uh, if you have any questions about that, you can, of course, ask me. You can ask our elders. You can uh, discuss what that looks like and what our hope and our prayer is for that uh, unique time that Scott will be taking. So we, um, we are excited to welcome him back into town, um, but uh, he will be out of our day-to-day stuff for those next two weeks. And before we dive into the sermon stuff, I want to just share with you another thing we've been talking about here together. Um, you've heard us talking about a program that we're launching called Regeneration Recovery. And we've been sharing with you about this new program. We're going to continue to share with you over the next number of weeks. But we've been inviting you um, to join with us in a pilot program that will be starting in a few weeks. Regeneration Recovery um, is one of those things that we want to to tell you about as we get ready to start. But it's a, it's a program that we're going to, uh, hopefully you've already heard, that we find super valuable, uh, we know is going to be valuable to our church. Um, it's a Christ-centered recovery program. It's a 12-step recovery program that is really focused on the process of discipleship. It just means that through that process, you would grow in your relationship with God, that uh, you would find that by drawing near to Jesus that you can find healing for whatever brokenness is going on in your life. And let's be honest, we all experience brokenness on some level. Some of that is big and obvious and external, and some of that is very internal, and maybe no one else knows about that brokenness. Uh, But we believe that anybody can experience a new life. A new life that comes in freedom of finding what God's already placed in Scripture for us and how he's already pointed to Jesus um, through um, our ability to find recovery um, in Jesus Christ. And so this program walks us through that, pointing um, at 12 steps that are really a discipleship journey of working through recovery. And so by working through that, if you participate in the program or anyone who participates in the program, working through those steps, you will be focused on authentic community, uh, people who are going to then find freedom in that from substance abuse, from codependency, from pornography, eating disorders, depression, fear, control, emotional, physical abuse, same-sex attraction, anger, obsessive thoughts, the, the list is, is very, very long of these types of things that Regeneration Recovery speaks to. And so we believe this program is going to help our church. And we want you to know about that. And we want you to be looking towards what that will mean. I think just today I'll tell you it means two, two things importantly for us. That first, we're excited about how this program is going to help our leadership. And that's why for this pilot program, we're inviting leaders to take part in it. This program is going to help our leadership because it will help us respond to what does it mean to walk through brokenness. There are ways that all of us experience brokenness in life. And, and I know that, um, here's what I know for me, that I'm going to experience as, as I walk through that, 
um, uh, just a, a, some incredible life change for me as I walk through that personally. And I know it's going to be ultra challenging for me, uh, but I know it's going to be good because I know that ultimately the brokenness in my life, that God wants to use that to apply his scriptural principles to that so that I can walk that that I can walk others through that along with me. We believe that this will change the way that we are as a church and our culture because we feel we will become better equipped to walk through the brokenness that we experience and that we see in the lives of others. The second thing that's important about this is that when we look at our town and our community, our hearts break for what we see in the hurt that we, we see in our friends and in the lives of those of our neighbors. And we want to be a church that provides hope for that. A lot of times we say, well, Jesus provides hope, but we don't always know how to walk that through or to point to the right scriptures or to talk about that in the right way. But we know that through the help of a program just like this, that walking through this will provide solid biblical help for people who have been hurt by, by the chaos of life. And we want to be a church that's, that has an answer to that. Not an answer that's a program, because I hope you've heard that it's not the program, it's Jesus. And not an answer that's just a program, but, but this will help walk us through in an easy way to, I think, apply that. But we know that ultimately Jesus provides healing. And through Regeneration Recovery, we're excited because when we don't know what to say, this program will equip us in ways to respond. That when we don't necessarily know the right biblical answer, we've, we've maybe had a conversation with somebody, we know the Bible talks about it, but we don't know where. We know that there's an answer, but we're not exactly sure how to say that. That uh, this program will equip us to respond individually as leaders, but also as a church to provide an opportunity for people to step in. We long to be a church here where broken people can come and find hope and healing in Jesus Christ. And this program will amplify our efforts to be that type of church. And we're excited about what it will, will make us as a church. It's scary because we're inviting brokenness in. But it's exciting because that's exactly why Jesus came. And so we, we are um, excited about this program and want to invite you to participate with us. We're going to continue to tell you what it looks like. Over the next number of weeks, we're going to tell you stories of people who have already participated in the program. We're going to tell you stories of people, um, even like me, um, who, and we'll hear one today, of why, why we're signing up for this pilot program. And so we'll invite you to that. Certainly there's a bigger conversation. And if you want to ask questions or maybe you feel like this is exactly an issue that I care about deeply, then have a conversation with us. Um, we'll give you directions of how to do that afterward, but it's real simple. You find either us or somebody with one of those lanyards on, and we'll, we'll talk to you about what that looks like. Last thing, and then we'll dive right in. Uh, we're going to look in the Bible today, so you need one. Um, we're going to look in the Bible, so if you don't have a Bible, then you can um, raise your hand up, and there are some folks who are going to walk through, and they're going to help you locate a Bible. If, if you don't own a Bible, you can take that one home. It can be yours. If you've lost your Bible and you would like a new one, please take that one home. You can have that one. If you um, love to use a digital Bible app, feel free to do that. Um, we have just a quick screen of some that we recommend. Those are ones that we like, but there are many others. Feel free to use that to dive into Scripture because um, I'm going to talk about some stuff today. And, uh, and I would love to think that I've got this really wise answer. I know I don't. It's the Bible that does. So if your nose is in the Bible all day today, um, I think that's a good thing. So, um, it, so we want you to do that. Um, as, the, as you're settling in, finding your Bible, I want to just tell you a story real quick about me. 
Um, and uh, some, many of you know that I grew up in the South. I don't know if you can hear that in my voice. Sometimes I'm unaware of how my accent works, but I grew up in the South. I was born in South Carolina, although most of my upbringing was in Tennessee. So I'm a Southern boy, and so being a Southern boy, perhaps uh, is the reason that I grew up eating chicken gizzards. Um, did anybody else in this, like, grow up eating chicken? Am I alone in the room? Okay, I'm not totally alone. Um, I realized... That was weird when I was an adult. I didn't know that was weird. Um, I realized that that was weird when I was an adult. I didn't realize that other people didn't eat chicken gizzards. Um, and, and the older that I'm getting, the more I realize that I'm kind of alone in that. I'm glad to have friends in the room. Um, I thought it was cool because my dad thought it was cool. And so when, when dad would, mom never thought it was cool. Dad thought it was cool, but my grandparents thought like I was a really a special kid. Like as, as if we're passing on some heritage to me because I, I would eat these chicken gizzards. I, I don't know why. West Ford, our associate minister, he laughs at me because I eat these. So like he knows that I eat and we share an office. And so like he laughs and jokes that I eat these chicken gizzards. It's probably his way of telling me, you're really weird. Um, but he laughs at me. My wife, Leslie, uh, I've tried to get her to try them, and she will have nothing to do with them. She doesn't touch them. She's yet to, like, pick one up. Now, Hunter just gave me thumbs up. So Hunter's one of our youth small group leaders. I've been trying to get Hunter to eat these things, and I was this close the other day. You say no. We're close, Hunter. We're going to get you to eat these. Um, I just, I'll keep working on him and see if we can. I realized through that, and, and it's new to me, I realized my upbringing is really what informed me that that was okay. It's a food that, that's strange, I guess. I don't even know what a chicken gizzard really is, and that's probably scary too. Um, let's not think about that because they're really good if you fry them. Um, so I don't know what it is, but I realized that it was like that was my upbringing perhaps that caused me to do that. And, um, and, and one of the things that's powerful about the way that we're raised is that when we're raised a certain way, it can cause us to do some things that we think are normal, but really when other people look in, they say, that's a little weird. And so today as we're diving into a tough topic, and we're going to continue this series today on tough topics, we're going to dive into a topic that's difficult. We're going to dive into a topic uh, about prejudice and racism. And that's one of those topics that when we're raised in a certain culture, we may look from and not realize that our viewpoints about that is kind of strange or kind of different. And it only as we get older do we realize um, that we've been raised with certain opinions and certain thoughts that um, don't necessarily line up with everybody else. I don't know how you were raised, but I know that the way that we were raised is powerful. And so this topic for many in the room will be a difficult one. One that where you're already uncomfortable, you're already struggling a little bit with that. But I want us to look into the Word of God today because I know the Word of God has the ability to shape our hearts. And so that's what we're going to do. And with that in mind, let's pray that that would take place. Let's pray together. God, we desire for your Word to shape our hearts today. And even though our topic would be difficult for many in the room, we know that your spirit has the power to illuminate the truth that comes from Scripture. And so we invite your presence, your Holy Spirit, into this place, into our lives, and into this room with us. Teach us through your word. Teach us because we've gathered together as your church. Give us courage to address this topic. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.
Well, there's a man who lived just about a hundred years ago named Otabenga. And Otabenga was a guy who um, was from Africa and was brought over to the United States early in the 1900s. He was brought over and then um, became a part of a World's Fair demonstration in St. Louis, and it became rather popular. And so then after that was then moved over to uh, the Bronx Zoo. Um, It became a landing spot for him because they felt like he would be able to care for the animals because he was from Africa and that would be able to be that would be something that was very natural. But what the zookeeper quickly realized is that people were coming to actually look at Otabenga. And so in 1906, the rather than being a caretaker, Otabenga became a display in that zoo. Otabenga was put on display in the monkey cages the monkey section of the zoo, and rapidly became the most popular attraction at the Bronx Zoo. People came to look at him because he was short, under five feet tall, that his teeth were sharpened in his childhood, and so he looked uh, very strange and different, and he looked kind of savage because of that. And the zookeepers capitalized on that, and they knew that it was popular. It was estimated that 40,000 people per day were going to see this display at the Bronx Zoo. You know, that's just a hundred years ago that there was a man put into a zoo as, as a display next to monkeys. That, that blew me away as I, as I read through that story. Why was this ever a thing? Why was this something that people did? It's crazy for me today to think that that actually happened. Well, that was influenced by some thinking that was also going on during that time in our country. And the thinking that was going on during that time in our country was was influenced by Darwinism, where people were looking for this missing link in evolution between the ape and the man. And Otabenga became a visual demonstration of that for people to see. And so when they looked, they said, that fits. And he became an explanation for something that people had wanted to have proof for. Darwinism was the, was the place that accelerated the topic on race. It wasn't the first time that people talked about different races. But what Darwinism did to that culture was it catapulted forward a discussion about different races and how they might be different. Darwinism explained that those races are different because they've evolved at a different level. And so the belief that was, that was being taught in this culture and in that time was that certain races were better and more evolved and others were more savage and closer to the apes. This is the the basis for many ethnic cleansing because we we want to create a race and people would want to create this ultimate master race. You're familiar with that if you look in history because Adolf Hitler is perhaps the the largest example that we can think about and the most obvious example of ethnic cleansing And despite the laws in the state of Tennessee, the laws in the state of Tennessee which said you can't teach anything in schools that would be opposite of divine creation. Early in the 1900s, the textbook that was being used in Tennessee state schools was called a civic biology. It's probably the most popular biology textbook in the nation at the time. Here's a quote from that book about race. The races of man... 
At the present time, there exist upon the earth five races or varieties of man, each very different from the other in instincts, social customs, to, and to an extent in structure. These are the Ethiopian or Negro type, originating in Africa, the Malay or brown race from the islands of Pacific, the American Indian, the Mongolian or the yellow race, including the natives of China, Japan, the Eskimos, and finally, the highest type of all, the Caucasians, represented by the civilized white inhabitants of Europe and America. That was the textbook in the state of Tennessee just 20 years after Otabango was in the Bronx Zoo. That was the culture that many of our parents or grandparents were raised in in school. They were educated by that thinking when it came to biology. Now, today we know this is craziness. We know that, that genetic studies about DNA have taught us that there's a vast uh, difference between a human and an ape, but that's not always been believed. In fact, genetic studies will tell us that sometimes we're closer genetically to someone who has a different skin color than someone who is of the same ethnicity than we are. Genetically, it was not always believed that, but today we know that that's crazy. And what's interesting is that we know today that if I need an organ transplant, the, the closest tissue match for me may be from a different ethnic group. It could be from a black man for the closest tissue match to me. What we've learned is that there are minuscule differences between uh, the, the different ethnicities among humanity that once were thought to be tremendous. We've learned a lot since then about ethnic groups, about DNA. And what we've really learned and what that has taught us is that there's not different races. We're really all one race, humanity. And we've learned that although there are different ethnic groups, that those different ethnic groups aren't quite as far apart as what we may have first thought. It's probably better for us to talk about it in terms of ethnic groups rather than races. But, you know, if we're just going to use ethnic groups to talk about dividing again, then it's really just saying the same thing. But let's pause for a moment as we really get to the heart of what we're talking about today for definitions. The definition of prejudice is a preconceived opinion that's not based on reason or actual experience. And a definition of racism would be prejudice against someone of a different race based on the belief that one's own race is superior. And while we're paused, let me say this. We talked a lot about how someone's raised and the culture that you grew up in or maybe your parents or your grandparents grew up in. And we use that a lot of times to become an excuse for prejudice. And let me just tell you something that I think is crucial. If you don't hear anything else that I say, this probably is the thing you want to hear. That racism is not a product of the environment. It's a product of sin. Racism is not something that came from the environment that someone was brought up in. Racism comes from sin. Don't miss that. Prejudice and racism are not just the, pro the product of a culture that I described. It's the result of sin. And so why are we prejudiced? Because we have this sinful desire to be better than somebody else. You don't have to be taught how to do that, really. If you just watch kids, they'll, they'll quickly move to that argument that maybe you participated in when you were younger, which is, my dad's stronger than your dad. 
We've got cooler things than you have. My family went on a better vacation than your family. I'm faster than you are. We know that that's, that's the, the conversation that takes place on elementary school. And we, not, we might not be as silly about the way that we dialogue with one another, but we'd be lying to one another and to ourselves if we didn't say that we also look at differences among each other and we leverage those to prove somehow that we're better than someone else. Those of you who are Christian know that the Bible is filled with teaching that you're not to think of others as, as, uh, as lesser than you. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. To walk around with the belief that you are somehow better than others is to give your heart over to evil. Now listen, I have to tell you, I entered into the sermon in my preparation thinking, I've got a pretty easy sermon when it comes to the Bible. I'll just tell good stories and we'll talk about where we are as a church. And I actually probably told some of you that biblically this is easy, but I'll I'll focus in on stories. I had originally planned to share a lot of stories. There are a lot of stories I can't share because of time. In fact, I'm going to blitz through some stuff that I wanted to spend more time on. I had a story about a friend of mine who stood right there. And said, I can't come into this. It was during the week. He said, I can't come into this church because I'm black and people will stare at me. And he trembled while he said it. I had a story. I had a story that was months ago. It, it wasn't too long ago. And, um, and I, has, I have a lot of stories like that. And, I, and if you're interested in that, let's talk afterward. Um, I'll be glad to talk with you about those stories because they're incredible. But I want to look at the Bible today. And, and I want to spend some time looking at what the Bible has to say Because I've realized that if we're going to really dive in today, we have to look in the truth in God's word. So we're going to look at a lot of passages in the Bible. I can't tell you to turn to one. If you do want to turn to one, turn to Acts chapter 10. Um, Read through that if you get bored with what I say. Um, But Acts chapter 10 would be a good spot to turn. But we're going to look at a lot of different passages today. The reason I thought this was easy is because I didn't understand how a Christian could look at the Bible and find justification for bigotry. I just didn't get that. I thought, how do you read the Bible and then somehow find that you can justify your attitude towards somebody who looks different than you do? Um, and, and, and so I did a little bit of research. And, you know, for example, some of that comes from a, a misreading of Genesis chapter four about the mark of Cain, where people thought that the mark of Cain was black, sin, black skin. Um, and that's just crazy, by the way, if you read what that says in Genesis four, because Genesis four fifteen says that that mark was given to Cain for his protection from it was the grace of God for his protection. I don't know how you, you justify and think that's black skin. Um, it was, and if it is, then we all want black skin because it's God's grace um, for protection. Um, Genesis chapter 9 was a place where people would look and say, well, the curse of Canaan, which is Noah's grandson, uh, was used to justify slavery. And they would say, well, that's, that's why we have slavery. Which slavery, by the way, is an entirely different topic. I've preached about that some as we worked through the book of Philemon. And, and so we talked about that real, really in summary form. I would say that the Bible doesn't speak specifically to slavery, but it does speak very specifically to the exploitation of other human beings. And you cannot read scripture and read that it's okay to exploit other human beings. Um, so we, we talked about some of that. If you want to go back to that old sermon um, But there are passages also that people will use to talk about in our current culture 
for intermarriage and why intermarriage is not okay. I, I never understood that because I always read those and I saw really clearly that that's not about skin color, that that's about idol worship. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 3 and 4, it, it talks about that. And that's obviously, it's about idol worship. Um, in Ezra chapter 9, verse 14, it talks about a remnant that God wants to maintain. Well, that remnant that's wanting to be maintained is a remnant that points to God. It has nothing to do with different ethnicity at all. It points to a people who believed in, in God. There, and then there's a passage that people point to in Numbers chapter 12 where Miriam and Aaron spoke to Moses and they and it says in verse 1 Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married for he had married a Cushite woman. Now I don't have time to go into the details of it but to say that she was a Cushite was to say she was a darker skinned person from Africa. And if you um, if you look at that and you stopped at verse 1 then you would see man Aaron was like the first high priest of Israel and he's calling Moses out for that. We should pay attention. Well, let's pay attention. Read verse 2. It says, uh, this is what they said, Miriam and Aaron said. Has the Lord only spoken through Moses? Has he not also spoken through us? Well, that's what it's about. They're jealous about that. God responds, like big time, comes down in a pillar of cloud, says, hey, guys, come out. They come out to God present in the pillar of cloud. And, and, and then what God says to them, as they, he says, Hear my words. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream, but not so with my servant Moses. He's faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And then the Spirit leaves. And then what happens is it says that Miriam found that she was, had leprosy and that her, it says her skin was, was like snow. If there's any underlying reference to skin color about the Cushite woman, then you would also have to think that the word snow is a reference to somebody like Miriam saying, you value light-colored skin, I'll give you light-colored skin in the form of leprosy. Listen, that's not what that passage is about. It's not about intermarriage and skin color. In fact, God makes that really clear. I don't understand how we can read that and see that that's a thing in the Bible. Because it's not. It's not a thing. It's always about the purity of religion. It is never about the purity of any kind of race. The Bible makes it clear that we are of one race. That we are of the human race. And I wanted to just zip right through that. And I didn't even want to read any of that stuff because I think it's so clear. And it kind of frustrates me that we even have to address that because I know that some of that has been twisted and misused to justify a bigotry that we walk into the Bible with ahead of time. We walk in ahead of time with a prejudice and try and use the Bible to then confirm what we want, which is really about holding on to power. And it's really about thinking we're better than somebody else. And it's not about having an openness to the word of God. Okay. My heart's beating fast. Acts 10. Let's look there. Acts 10 is a passage that I want to talk about because I think it talks about prejudice. And I think that's where we need to zoom into. Let me summarize that, that, that during this time in Scripture, there were some cultural divisions that were going on between a Jew and a Gentile, be, between a Jew and a Samaritan, 
between a slave and a freedman, between the slave, the freedman, and the slave masters. And then once you add in women, you've got it, you've got it all complicated because they had zero rights. So the Jews didn't like the Samaritans because they were half-bred. The Jews didn't like the Gentiles because they were not pure at all. They were dirty. Then the Samaritans didn't like the Gentiles. And then the slaves didn't like the freedmen. And the freedmen didn't like the slaves. And, and the women were just, it was a mess. Okay? It was a mess. Acts chapter 10 is eight years after the resurrection of Jesus. And Peter, the leader of the Christian church at the time, is, um, is in the scene here. And then a, Rome, um, a, a, a man named Cornelius, who's not a Christian, um, but is, is somehow praying and pleading um, to hear from God. That's how the stage is set there. And uh, each one of them have a vision. Each one of them have a vision. Cornelius' vision says, hey, go invite Peter to your house. Peter's vision is that God's saying, all food that once was not clean is clean. And then Peter says, no, you're wrong. No. And it says in that passage in Acts chapter 10, if you read it, that Peter argues three times. Three times and says, no, I will not eat something that's not clean. And God says, don't call stuff unclean that I've made clean. Don't call stuff unclean that, uh, that, that we've made clean three times. Now listen, if you're, if you're a follower of Peter, and some of you are, you know that Peter sometimes needs things in three, right? Sometimes he denies three times. Then Jesus says, wait a second, do you love me three times? And then here he is in a vision talking to God and saying, no, 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 three times about the food thing. Well, listen, it finally got through to Peter, okay? So as that vision is still going on, uh, these guys come and they say, come over here to Cornelius' house. And so there he goes, leader of this church. Now Peter's a Jew, and, and so he walks in, and in Acts chapter 10, verse 28, he makes this wonderful grand entrance. He says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone from another nation. But, God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. That's eight years after the resurrection of Jesus. And it took even longer before that, that became discussed at the church in Jerusalem. This division wasn't healed right away. This division wasn't fixed right away. The division between Jew and Gentile took a lot of work. And if you read your New Testament, you know that it is all over the place in Paul's writing. The division between Jew and Gentile and what that looks like. And that's bigger, if, we're, if we really dive into that historically, that's much bigger and deeper than any of the socioeconomic stuff that we deal with today. The church has been from the very beginning... At the very beginning of the church with Peter, the church has been called to lead in this area of unity. And the church today is called to be a leader in this area of unity today. Because Scripture is full of a theology of unity. You can't read Scripture and not see God's heart for unity. In Genesis 1, verse 26, God says, Let's make man in our image and our likeness. That we were made in the image of God. We didn't evolve from a monkey. We were made in the image of God. Acts chapter 2 is this big pivotal point in the story of Scripture where the day of Pentecost brought every nation that had been separated back at the Tower of Babel. Every nation was brought together. And the same thing that separated language was the same thing that brought together language in Acts chapter 2. Every nation under heaven 
was brought together in Acts chapter 2. In Matthew 28, Jesus says that we are to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4 says, Therefore, this is, this is Paul, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner that's worthy to the calling that you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit. You're called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God who is over all, through all, and in all. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 through 22. It's a great passage. Write that down. Ephesians 2, 13 through 22, if you want to look through that, where again talks about this dividing wall between a Jew and a Gentile. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 says, There's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor male or female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. We talked about those divisions that existed. Remember when I talked about all those divisions? Listen, you're not going to find in Scripture any directive for prejudice. You're not going to find anything in Scripture that gives you the basis to be prejudiced towards somebody else because they're different than you. But we're not going to correct this issue in one day. Just like it wasn't in Acts chapter 10, we're not going to correct this issue in one day, but we can take a step. We can take a step. What does it look like for us to make this better? Because that's, that's the application today. What does it look like for us First Christian Church in Greenville, Tennessee. What does it look like for us to be better than what we are right now? We need to be open to hearing from Scripture. Did you struggle on some of those verses today? Did you think, eh, I'm not so sure that's what that says? Be honest. If so, talk with a mentor. Talk that through. I'd love to talk with you if you want to talk that through. If that was challenging for you in some way. What if we chose to listen to the Word of God instead of listening to the bias that we often will bring into the Word of God? What would it say to us? That's a step that we could take. Another thing that we could do together as a church is to listen closely to the heart of the issue. Meet with friends who have a passion for integrating a church that is all nations. If we really believe, and we do, the Bible tells us we're going to worship all nations worshiping God in heaven, then we should start to get used to that today. If we're going to worship like that in heaven, it makes no sense that we would segregate on earth. Would you listen to people who have a heart for that? Because they may expose in, in us blind spots that we have that we didn't see, we never knew. And they would expose that as we listen to them. What would it look like for our church to draw closer to the heart of God on this issue? And the heart of God is unity and love. Staying in a safe place with our own box of comfort when it comes to worship style, when it comes to preaching style, when it comes to fashion style. Staying in a safe box of stuff that we like is not going to demonstrate what it looks like to come together. We need to be praying about how God would call us to change and to remove some of our own desires and our own culture so that we can connect with the culture and desires of others for the sake of the kingdom of God. That we would become a place where other people feel welcomed, where other people feel that they can hear this good truth in the Gospel. Please... Please, please don't go to lunch today. 
and say, oh, look, a Hispanic guy. I wonder what church he goes to. Don't do that. This is not like affirmative action. That's not what we're talking about, okay? That's not what we want to be. But we do want to be praying about how God might change our hearts and our church and our culture to create a place where others can come to know this, uh, this truth about Jesus and not just come to know it, where we can celebrate all nations praising God on earth as it is in heaven. That we could, we could do that somehow together. But don't be weird. Don't, don't be weird. Don't be weird. Perhaps today, finally, you need to repent. And perhaps you need to respond publicly by walking forward. And, and then there will be some people who in just a moment will stand right up here. And they would walk right out these doors with you. And they would be willing to pray for an extended period of time with you in our care room. Maybe that prayer for you today needs to be one of repentance. That doesn't have to be public in front of everybody, confess your sin, but maybe it does need to look like walking out and telling somebody else, this is hard for me, would you pray for me? This is hard for me, would you pray with me? We would love to pray with you, to walk, this, uh, walk alongside of you in this topic, which I know is so difficult. Boy, if it's a hot topic, it's a hot topic. And I know it's a difficult one. Search our hearts. God, would you search our hearts? Would we, would we pray that today together, that God, you would search our hearts for anything that looks like a better than, for anything in me that makes me think I'm better than somebody else, that, that God, you've created and that you love. Maybe you would respond that way. Let, let's, let's pray that prayer right now. God, would you search our hearts? God, would you, would you dig deeply into the places that we guard because we don't want to be convicted because it hurts. But God, convict us because it's good to come and draw near to your heart on this issue. Your heart that says love. So God, search us and know us and point out to us anything that we need to change so that our heart individually and collectively our heart as a church would be more like your heart. God, we desire to be people who can help others come to know You, and who can get over that selfish stuff, and who can confess our sin to You. So God, walk us through that, that we would be courageous enough to do that even today. We ask in the power of Jesus' name. Amen.